This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast, show 135. And then in 2014, I bought a 209-unit deal for $6 million that appraised at $7.4 million on day of purchase. And uh, when we're recording this in 2015, I'm actively looking for 100 to 400-unit deals up to a $15 million purchase price. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. What's going on, everybody? This is Josh Dorkin, host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, here with my co-host, Mr. Brandon Turner. What's going on, sir? Guess where I'm going next week, Josh. I know where you're going next week. Oh, well, everybody else, guess. guess where I'm going next week. And I'm I'll going already, to Disneyland. I'm going to Disneyland. Yeah. yeah, I'm taking a four-day trip to Disneyland. Four days to Disneyland. Four days you're, at Disneyland. That's that's a bit much, I think. Well, I've only spent two days there, and I'll spend two days uh, visiting some friends and such down in the in the uh, Southern California area. So, Excellent. but I'll be back before this show airs. So don't come to my house and break in because I'll be here naked. Nice. That's that's just disturbing. That's disturbing, my friend. Well, can can we just let's move go forward? on? Let's go yeah, on. Today I've we got have like a, a really great show. bad bad picture in my mind. Here. <laughs> but yeah, so we do have a great show today, and I'm super excited about it. We'll get there in a second. Let me tease it. This guy is amazing. This guy is doing some really cool deals, and the the cool part about it is you know he's so open about how he actually puts these deals together and yeah. and so you definitely want to catch us again whether you're a novice or you've been in the game for 10 20 years there's great insight here so let's get to today's quick, quick tip. tip today's quick tip is uh, we are currently kind of facing kind of w- some weird thing on iTunes so if you go into iTunes and you want to check out our shows you could only see the last 20. We've been told this is a bug, but we do not know. So it may may happen forever. And, and so if you want to see shows past the 20 current shows, go to biggerpockets.com slash podcast. That's biggerpockets.com slash podcast. And you can find all of our shows. You can see all of our show notes. You can listen. If you can't see them on iTunes, that's that's what you want to do. Um, you could also actually listen on SoundCloud or, or Stitcher. Stitcher. So uh, there's alternatives as well. So definitely go ahead and do that. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Calling all property owners and operators. Are you managing a multifamily property and looking to elevate your residents' living experience? Introducing Quantum Fiber Internet, your go-to choice for speedy internet your residents will love. The process is as seamless as Quantum Fiber service. Starting at just $50 a month, your residents can enjoy fast, reliable internet that will make them love where they live even more. Connect with your local fiber representative today. Learn more at q.com slash go big. I wonder how they got that domain. That's q.com slash go big. Limited availability. Service and rate in select locations only. Taxes and fees apply. 360 Wi-Fi and other equipment lease charges, taxes, and fees are excluded from price for life offer and may be increased. 
You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single-family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. Let's get on before we get to the interview with Brian. I want to read today's uh, one review from iTunes because I love this. This is from Victorian Junkie which is an awesome name too. Uh, this podcast has been extremely influential in helping our business expand and learn about the pitfalls that can occur without the proper knowledge that Bigger Pockets gives. I love that. That is from, again, Victoria Junkie, five-star review in iTunes. So uh, anyway, thank you very much for that review. You guys rock. And anybody else who leaves one, a rating review or subscribes to us in iTunes, it definitely helps us out. So we'll thank you guys in advance for that. Excellent, excellent. Fabulous. Well, let's get to the show. Today, we've got Brian Adams. And no, it is not the guy who's going to serenade you. <laughs> not him. Not him. All right. We got Brian Adams. Brian Adams is an uh, active real estate investor buying hundreds and hundreds of rental property units at a time with these large multifamilies. And uh, he's going to talk to us today about how he does it. How does he raise the money? How does he put the deals together? What does it look like? Who can do this? Can you do it? You know, I've been investing for three years, five years. Can I do deals like this? You're going to learn all that if you listen to the show. Lots of tips. And, and again, there's tips for everybody. So pay attention, tune in, and get your pencils out because there's definitely some notes to be taken. With that, let's bring on Mr. Brian Adams. All right, Brian, welcome to the show, man. It's good to have you here. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Awesome, awesome. So uh, you and I started talking back a few months ago because uh, you emailed me and just asked me kind of what my experience was. I was doing a webinar, and so we started talking back and forth with that. And I found out you've done a ton of stuff, and so I like was you know I had to get you on the show because yeah, I mean you're you're crushing it with your investing business. So we're gonna get into that today. Talk what does about that mean? I'm you not that. Pre- you know you're a little more prepared than I of am. Of course, Brandon. I'm more prepared. You're gonna find out what it means. You're just a listener, Josh. I'm okay. the host today. <laughs> You're something. I'm something. All right. So let's let's start at the very beginning. How did you get started with real estate? Like, what, when did that happen? What was your first deal? Sure. Well, it actually started at a very young age. Uh, my grandfather had some rental properties. And as a young boy, I would, you know, mow his grass. He'd give me a couple bucks and, you know, pick up the trash. And what what was really cool for me to see at a very young age is he would take me along to go collect rent. Uh, and, and back then, my grandfather accepted all cash. I don't do that from a policy perspective, but, <laughs> you know, he was accepting cash. And then he would throw me two, three, four, five dollars. So I got to see this exchange of money happening from a rental perspective. But then let's fast forward a little bit. So, um, when I was a junior in high school, my um, football coach was also my accounting teacher. And he pulled me aside and said, Brian, you're not the fastest guy on my team or the smartest kid in my ca- my classroom. I probably should have taken that as an insult at the time. Yeah, wow. He's, that's, yeah, that's but, great. Thanks, but, teach. But he's, 
Yeah, thanks, Teach. But he said, you have this knack for accounting. So my junior year in high school, I knew I wanted to be an accountant. You know, my buddies are thinking they want to be a doctor's attorneys, Hollywood stars, whatever. But I was very focused uh, when I graduated uh, high school that I wanted to go get my accounting degree in college. And then once I was in college, I wanted to get my CPA license. So out of college, I graduated. And, and through this period of time when I was working with this high net worth uh, groups anywhere between you know five million to a hundred million dollars of people were creating their wealth through real estate. So it, it all kind of came back to me that I remember the times with my grandfather and I was working with all these clients from a real estate tax perspective to say how can I help them create more wealth? And I just saw all the all the pieces kind of being put together for me. So back in two thousand, I, I kind of you know was doing the CPA stuff, but also I just bought a rental property, you know, just one that I bought and started renting. And, and then in 2008, I'll never forget the, the, the time period. Um, again, my background is a CPA, working crazy hours during tax season, working on this very successful client. And he was just crushing it. He was just making all this cash flow, all this passive income. And I said, what the heck is this guy doing right? He's living the lifestyle that I wanted to be living, traveling, golfing, whatever. You know, I was just I was intrigued. Um, so I gr- started grabbing all his tax returns and realized that he had all these partnerships set up. All these partnerships were single purpose business entities that were apartment buildings. Then he had a management company, a construction company, had this whole business model. And imagine the the, the spotlight shining down above and, and angels <laughs> singing like, aha, you know, like I was like, oh my gosh, if this guy can do it, I know I can do it. So I am um, um, kind of giving you a long-winded answer of how I got started, but in, in 2000, I said, okay, I got to get, I got to make some stuff happen. So I, I quickly went out, got some education, uh, learned that the multifamily is, is where I wanted to go with my real estate uh, investing career, found a duplex, that duplex had a vacancy and uh, filled that vacancy. I was like, wow, this, this works on a very small scale. I can, you know, uh, create this passive income. So then I, I went and uh, I know if, where we're going to get ahead in the in questions you're going to ask me, but then right. I went to really scale scale the business and focusing on larger uh, apartments. That's awesome. Okay, yeah, I, I want to step back. Obviously, we're gonna that's the kind of focus of today's yeah. show, but um, I want to touch on a couple things. First of all, I thought it was cool the way that you mentioned that your grandpa used to let you come and pick up rent with them, right? So, yeah. I mean, I don't have kids yet, but for the people out there listening that have kids, and if you have a rental property or two or three, I think that I think that's awesome to like the more you can bring your kids into your business to let them just see like the real life, uh, you know, fruits of your labor or whatever, you know, like how that actually works, no matter what business I guess you're in, but especially real estate. I think that's awesome. I think that's just a great tip right there in general. Um, But so what happened between 2000 and 2008? Did you buy buy others? Like you bought a single family in 2000. What else happened in that time? Well, really it was just, you know, buying a single here, you know, doing a rehab. There was no focus. There was no clarity. There was no, I knew I had a passion for real estate, but I was a pretty doggone good CPA as well, and that's what was bringing in the income. But you know, I think we all, you know, operate from either a level of pain or pleasure. And for me, to kind of kickstart my thing, as I mentioned, I've got to, I have two girls, and during taxis, I was seeing them ten minutes in, in the morning, yeah. plus my wife, and, and I was just operating from a, a level of pain, and I needed to make massive action and uh, you know take take control of of where I wanted to go with with my life and things. Nice, nice. All right, so you're determined. You say 2008. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, change the way I'm doing things. So you go, you buy this duplex, and then you know you you talk about kind of scaling. Well, how how did that go? So you know, what, sure. 
what came after the duplex and what was kind of the process, the thought process that, you know, beyond like, hey, I want to, you know, I want to own a bunch of properties. You had to have mapped out a plan. So yes. let's talk about the plan and then let's talk about the implementation. Sure thing. So um, I'll give you the, the high level. I'm going to come back to some detail as well. So 2008, you know, I got this duplex. I was like, okay, I, I know this can work. I, I did it at a very small scale. 2009, I tried to buy a 132-unit deal in uh, Dallas, Texas. Just a little Before, jump there. Yeah, just a little. But I knew, you know, you know I, I knew my clients could do it. And reading in between the lines, I knew – with a lot of focus, massive action, right education. And, and, and education's great, the books are fine, but you gotta get out there. You gotta get swings in the cage and you gotta, you know, you gotta take risk. And uh, so in, in 2009, the 132 unit deal did not work out. The seller and I could not agree on terms. So we, um, you know, that deal unfortunately folded. So, and I was trying to do the deal myself, trying to be the sponsor, trying to be the, the guy raising all the money. I realized there's multiple ways to get into real estate. There's multiple ways to skin the cat, so to speak. So in 2010, I partnered with a group. They found a 276-unit deal in Tennessee. It was a bank REO. We bought that asset for $4.5 million, and it appraised at $12 million on the day of purchase. Whoa. What I was able to do was add value. I was able to bring capital to the deal. It wasn't my deal. They found it. They were the sponsor. But what that has helped me now uh, looking back is, you know, we, we were able to refinance that asset within a year's period. So I was able to get a nice return for myself, nice return for my investors. It's a great story. It's a good track record. So, and then from 2010, I made some decisions to, you know, buy some bigger properties from thereafter. Hey, um, Brian, so let's talk about that. 2010, you said you partnered with a group. You said it was two, 276 units. Yeah, that's correct. Yes. Uh, you guys paid four and a half million and it appraised yes. at 12. All right. Yes. So what is the process of partnering with a quote group to acquire a four and a half million dollar property when you've done a duplex and maybe a couple singles and a couple other little things before? How does a guy, no offense, who doesn't know squat, you know, all of a sudden get together with this quote group to acquire a four and a half million dollar property? I know that lots of people are sitting here listening like, oh my God, that's crazy. So please walk us through that process. You know, what exactly did you do in this deal? Who were these people? How did you guys come together and how'd the whole thing, you know, flush out? Sure. And and it always comes back, guys, to relationships. It's um, everyone feels that, uh, you know, they're just going to go out and buy a property or a big property. But it always comes down to relationships and and the people that you circle yourselves with. So, again, if those people are the negative ones, you're going to unfortunately be that negative guy. So I always realize that always going to be in the circles of, of those that are taking the necessary action steps, those that are, you know, already burned the, the, the trail for me. Let's follow those that are smart. Let's follow those that have done this before. So to answer your question, I was just able to go through my network, go through my database, make outreaches to those that were, you know, 10, 15 steps ahead of me and say, hey, this is what I can do for you. This is, you know, I always want to add value to someone else's life. So if I can bring in my opportunity or my situation, I was able to bring capital. Some guys have, uh, some people in your audience might be 
awesome, you know, deal finders. They're, they're, they, or others might be good networkers or relationship or someone that's a taskmaster, you know, all about the details. So it's really looking at your strengths and saying, okay, here's my strengths. This is what I love to do. I like analyzing deals. I'm a CPA. Other people might hate that process. So if someone's able to find the deal or the money, we'll bring that to someone that that skill set or their strength is there. And, and you just, you know, play the strengths and weaknesses. Okay, so yeah. you said you brought capital. I'm assuming that means, you know, the, the, I'm assuming at this point, and, and maybe I'm wrong, that you didn't have the money for the down payment yourself. So bringing the capital means you went out and got the money, correct? I got a portion of the what we call private money or private equity for this opportunity. That is correct. Okay, so can you can you kind of dig into detail a little bit more? I mean, I don't need the ins and outs of your contract, but, you know, what, is, what does that mean? I mean, uh, how, how does somebody go and do what you did? Because I, I, fully, I don't fully understand exactly what you're saying that you did. Sure, sure, no problem. So the, the asset we bought for $4.5 million, we got a bridge loan. So there was a portion that, that debt was in place of $3.2 million. So we had to raise capital of $1.3 million. Okay. So I was out of that $1.3, I didn't raise the whole amount at that time. Um, I raised a portion of private capital. So I took this investment offering and present it to a group of my investors that we all would partner and share in not only the cash flows, but share in the upside of the project as well. Okay. And did you bring any of your own money or was it everybody, other, other people's money only? Uh, in, in this situation, yes, I brought my own capital as well because I wanted to show my investors that I had some skin in the game. Some of my deals, though, I have not needed to bring capital just because yeah. then you know, track record gets established and trust and level of credibility. Yeah. Okay. So a deal like this, you you put a little bit of money in. You bring. I'm assuming you raise. You know, the majority of the money. Again, it's an assumption. Um, but what percentage of this whole deal do you end up getting? Let's see. Of the of the whole deal, I think I was um, maybe like five to ten percent. No, I was I was a five percent owner. So it, was, it wasn't you know a significant amount. Yeah. But it was it was enough when you think of you know cash flow and back end yeah. profit. Yeah. Uh, and, and sometimes I'll be really clear on this one is I realized, you know, my experience in 2009 where I tried to do it all, all myself and I, I, I struck out. So yeah. sometimes that first deal, you got to take a couple steps back, realize, okay, this is the big plan. This is where I want to get to. Sometimes you may, you know, take a, a lot less, you know, uh, something is better than nothing. So that's what I, I looked at. I said, okay, I'm just going to take a small piece of this and then let's see where this goes thereafter. Yeah, it's it's great, and you, you know, you get a piece of of this deal that you know. I think a lot of people hear like, "Oh, well, I got fifty percent of the deal," and you should always go there. And and I don't think I've heard on all of our shows and all of our interviews. I don't think we've talked to a person who's said that they've taken anything less. Now, granted, they're working on different proportions here. They're working on you know three units and two units and five units, um, and so you know, coming in and and doing a one point three million dollar raise. You know, for a four and a half million dollar property, it's a it's a little bit different. So, you know, at the end of the day, that five percent of uh, you know when when you multiply it out to, of twelve million dollar is project is it's a pretty good start. Sure, yes, it and is. Builds yep. builds that track record, like you yeah. said. Yes, yeah, that's yeah. like that 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 thing I always say. The quote I always say about uh, you know fifty percent of a of a great deal is better than a hundred percent of no deal. So the same way, five percent of a great deal is still better than. 100% of no yes. deal. And so I think yes. that's fantastic. Anybody who's looking to get started, I mean, just take that to heart right there. I mean, just the idea of just yeah. work with somebody else who's doing it. 
who's been successful, even if, I mean, honestly, even if you work with somebody and made no money on the deal, at least you're developing a track record. I'm not saying you should necessarily work for free, but it's better than nothing if you're just struggling to get started. So I think that's fantastic. Uh, Can I ask you about like, before we move on to what happened next in in your business, looking back at the first 10 years or or eight years or whatever, it took 10 years to get up to that kind of point. If you were to go back and do that again, you know, that, that whole decade again, what would you do differently in your life? That's an excellent question. Cause I think, you know, all the, the learning between in those 10 years, you know, I, I got to learn more from my clients and, and those are some of those ex clients turned into yeah. my uh, investors. Um, I think if I had to do it differently, I would have done multifamily sooner. Cause I think from a scalability perspective, income perspective, you know, all those things, all the metrics, I think most people that I run circles with, you know, are in that single family or wholesaling world. And that's a J-O-B, you know, you're constantly looking for that next opportunity versus a multifamily. You're creating that, you know, existing income stream or passive income stream. So to answer your question, I guess would be, um, I wish I would have had that aha moment sooner and, uh, probably would have, my portfolio would, would, uh, hopefully be, <laughs> be a lot, be a lot bigger now. So, uh, but sure. I'm fortunate for all the experiences that I've, you know, in the pathway that I've traveled, I think it, it's helped me, you know, to be better educated, dot the I's and cross the T's and, and understand this business more. So I think yeah. I'm fortunate for the past 10 years to, you know, from a learning perspective. Yeah. Hey, so really quickly, I want to just jump back to that property and then we'll kind of move forward. Now, you're not managing this property, correct? I'm assuming the property is obviously has in-house management. So, I mean, really, at the end of the day, you're you're just an investor in this deal. You put it together, and and now you're kind of uh, part of the portfolio. It's part of the portfolio, right? You're you're very passive. Yeah, in that uh, particular 276 unit deal, that is correct. And in all my assets, uh, Josh, to be to be clear, I, I put that with a third mar- third party management company. And in in I just want to come back to one thing real quickly is. Uh, you know, being part of the deal doesn't mean that you have to be a passive, you know, I brought, you know, I brought value, I brought equity. But what I did, I just asked a bunch of questions to those that were running the show, like, what about this? What about that? You know, just, I was just picking their brain. And I yeah. think anyone that's listening, that's really important is even if you, you know, don't get a deal across the finish line, take that opportunity to ask as many questions as you can, because it's going to help you. It's going to, you know, because each deal is unique. Each deal has challenge. Each deal is going to fall apart in some cases. So you want to, you know, you've got to be prepared for, you know, the worst situations. Right on, right on. Okay. 276 units. Fantastic. Then what? Yeah. What are we jumping to? 500, 1,000, 10,000? Come on. Come on. I mean, you, you went from two to 276. <laughs> yeah. You know, if we're using that math, you know, we're going to a big one next. <laughs> yeah. So, so what happened next? And, and, and this is where all the challenge comes, right? So at the end of, uh, you know, we bought that asset in 2010, we flipped it. Uh, so coming now into the end of 2011, um, you know, I'm still working the CPA gig and I realize again, my passion, you know, back going back to that junior year in high school, my passion's been accounting. I'm a pretty good CPA, but my passion started shifting. I got to see the real estate stuff start to happen. My clients were making it. I figured, what the heck, I can start this. So again, I mapped out a plan. This wasn't something that overnight I said, I'm going to quit my CPA job. But I, I ended up quitting my CPA job at a top 100 law firm in the world and to pursue my own real estate business. So December 5th, I'm sorry, December 15th, 2011, I went to my boss and said, I'm done. And uh, fortunately, my wife is very supportive. And again, we mapped out a plan. 2012 was a very challenging year. Um, I did not buy any multifamily. I had a 98-unit deal that that folded. 
Um, so I had some some revelations about myself in 2012, and and um, and then in 2013 I bought uh, with partners a 144 unit deal for 10.3 million, and then in 2014 I bought a 209 unit deal for six million that appraised at 7.4 million on day of purchase. And uh, when we're recording this in 2015, I'm actively looking for 100 to 400 unit deals up to a 15 million dollar purchase price. Wow, that's awesome! I love that that. Progression. I mean, I I, th- I want to touch on a couple of things there. First sure of all, thing. sure. you mentioned you had a you you and your wife developed a plan to quit yes. your job. Let's talk about that. I mean, what is that? A lot of people listen to our show. You know, I do a, I do a um a webinar every week here on Bigger Pockets, right? And and in that webinar, when people sign up for it, they get a link to a survey. And in the yep. survey, I ask them just some more information about themselves, about like you know what are you interested in, etc. Uh, and one of the questions I ask is on a scale of one to five, one being not at all, and five being yes. Do you want to quit your job? And our average rating is like a four, right on a four. So 80% of our people generally, or at least like the majority of people are very interested in quitting their job. And as a side note, if people want to sign up for a webinar, biggerpockets.com slash webinar. But sure. so how, I mean, how do they do that? How do they develop that plan that you did and, and get to that point? Sure. Well, I want to point out I'm not unique. Uh, I just, I, what I did was I figured out that instead of going after that shiny object syndrome, I think. I do it still myself. You know, we're all over the place. I really wanted to, I, I drilled down, you know, I had an unbelievable amount of clarity and focus and, and it all comes back to my why. Okay. Why, why do I want to go down this pathway? I could have stayed in my CPA gig, still made the, the income that I was making. I was pretty good at it. I had, you know, clients that liked me, all that good stuff, but the passion, the fire, the, the whatever else had shifted over to the real estate. So <clears throat> then I mapped out, okay, what, if, if I quit, how much money do I need to make on a monthly basis? Okay, I know that that amount. Okay, how many units do I need to buy? Where are those units located? Uh, what does that asset look like? Is it uh, in my own backyard or is it in a different state? Uh, how am I going to manage it? Where is the money going to come from? So, you know, it was a very methodical, and that's, you know, I'm a CPA, so I'm black and white. You know, there's not much, you know, gray there. So, <laughs> you know, there is a system or a process, a checklist, I guess, I put together. It's okay. So very methodically, let's go down this pathway and get it figured out. And, and, and so your listeners know that, you know, this just wasn't a, a one-time thing. I've, I've, again, had many swings in the cage. I've uh, hit some singles, hit some home runs, you know, and, and struck out. So, you know, know that um, to move your business forward, there's got to take, you got to take risks and, and we can all sit back and just, you know, uh, think about or do the education and all that good stuff. We actually got to get out there and, and, you know, take some action. Yeah. yeah. I love it. Hey, hey Brian. So, you mentioned, and I think I got the list written down as you were talking, but in 2012, you had the 98 unit that folded. What does that mean? How did, how did that deal just not work out? Um, tell us about it. Yeah, sure thing. That was in North Carolina, and, and that was um, that was a deal that I was going to sponsor myself. And just so the listeners know what that means is, as a loan sponsor, the banks basically require a couple of different things. One, you have to have the experience to buy a multifamily deal. If you just bought a duplex, they're not going to give you a you know a, a loan on a ninety-eight unit deal. You have to have some track record. So I was able to again use the twenty ten experience as, hey, this is what I've done. Also, as a loan sponsor, you need the net worth to cover the loan. Uh, you also need liquidity. Most lenders, when you close, will want some type of liquidity. Usually it's 10% of the loan balance uh, that you have to have liquidity. In my situation, why the 98 unit uh, deal didn't fold or why it folded was I had some private capital that that I had lined up, a big investor that was going to fund the whole asset. 
And uh, he pulled out, you know, a couple of weeks before I was, my money was going to go hard. And that really means for due diligence purposes, you put up a deposit. You've got some many days, could be 30 days, 45 days to do due diligence, to, you know, look at the numbers and do physical assessments and things of that nature. And then if your money goes past that date, it goes hard or non-refundable. So my money, um, I realized that my, my large investor was pulling out. So I had to terminate the project. So um, you know, I got my money back from the down to down money, but I also lost money. I lost money because I had to pay uh, to get a third party appraisal. I had to pay money to get that physical inspection. I had attorney costs. That, so, you know, suggestion to your listeners is, is before you you know get to that far of a process, uh, you really want to make sure you got your house in order, the nuts and bolts. How do you avoid? Somebody pulling out. Yeah, I was going to ask the same question. <laughs> yeah, I mean, b- because that seems like, yeah, I mean, it seems like it could be pretty risky. You, you got guys who have cash who are like, yeah, I got this, you know, I got your back. And, you know, you move forward on assumptions that they, they're there. Then what? So what, what do you need to do to protect yourself? Yeah, what can you do? Sure thing. A couple of different angles uh, I'd like to address that in. First, always make sure you have backup investors. That was a lesson learned. That and plus he was he was the only investor, so he was bringing the full chunk. That's great if you're you know maybe a seasoned guy, but uh, you know I was just kind of getting started. So he was he was 100. He had more control of the deal than I did. He was the one that's, that's something more or less calling the shots. So. You always want to make sure you've got what I call my stable A of investors, those that that have you know have worked with me before or they've they've already funded their money. It's a different when someone gives you a commitment and actually fund the money to escrow. So that money was not in escrow. So I never, you know, he never came came forward. So again, if investors already got their money in escrow and they want it back, well, that's a different conversation. That's probably maybe a legal question. I don't want to go there right now. But let's say you've got that investor who has not funded, but have said, hey, I want to invest, you know, X amount in your deal. And then all of a sudden they, they pull out. We want to make sure you've got, you know, team A and team B. So when team A player pulls out, you've got somebody right behind them. So if you're raising 500000 a million or $2 million, you always want to double that. And that's my opinion anyway. You just double that amount of commitments. So you've got people backstopping each other. Yeah, that's a great idea. That is great. How do we go find these people? Obviously, some of it comes with track record. For you, you're lucky you've, you know, you're, you've got the CPA business you're going on, but, you know, Somebody who might have done one or two deals, bought a 30 unit or something, and now needs to kind of go ahead and find some money partners, what would you suggest to them to do to go out and find? And I'm not talking, you know, the the postman who has 10, 20 grand. Obviously, you're talking about big money, accredited investors, stuff like that. So how, how do people go about finding those people? Sure. And just to address, you don't need to be a CPA to raise money. You know, anyone correct, can correct, do this. Correct. It's, it's, it's uh, okay, looking at your circle of influence. It might be folks on, you know, bigger pockets. And, and we, you know, we want to be careful there of advertising and things of that nature. But it's all about the relationships, what value you can, can add to others and go through your, what I call the circle of influence. It could be your, you know, your family, your friends, your CPA, your, your business associate, your, your doctor, attorney. And, and we're not asking those individuals specifically for money. We're just saying, hey, who do you know? This is my business. This is what I'm trying to accomplish. And those in your, you know, your, your true circle of influence, those are going to be the ones that really want to try to help you out. And you say, hey, hey, Josh Brandon, I need, I need, I'm looking for this. I've got a deal. I need to raise money. Who do you know that could be interested in this type of thing? You know, specifically, I'm not asking you guys for money. I'm just saying, hey, who do you know? Who yep. who's in your database that that might be a good fit? And and it always happens um, is that you, you know, you start talking to your family and friends, you tell them about what you're doing, all the great things that you can accomplish, and all of a sudden they're like, 
dude, why didn't you ask me about this? You know, this sounds yeah. awesome. Let me participate. Let me get in this thing. So then you, um, it, it, again, it's all about using your network, your relationships and, and um, you know, trying to get your business moving forward. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And just to go back and harp on one point you just said there about, you know, maybe it's on bigger pockets and you have to be careful about advertising. That's, you know, completely right. And the idea that like, Okay, so bigger pockets obviously has a lot of newbies on there, right? People that are just learning. And so, you know, they go onto the forums and they ask a question like, how do I buy a rental property? And then everyone, you know, kind of helps them out. So there's obviously a lot of answers for new people. So a lot of the experienced guys look at that and they say, well, I don't know what value. I mean, like, I don't know. I don't have any reason to participate on BP in the forums or by building relationships. You know, I'm not, I'm not in that. I don't need those answers. But I think what a lot of people don't realize is it's that like, just answering those questions, you know, you might help one person or 50 people that are going to read it, but you're in front of thousands of people who potentially have money who see you as an influential person. And so the people yeah. that are most active on bigger pockets and that are out there helping and being productive and, and, and I'll put that not just on BP, but just in general in the world, right? But, you know, specifically for BP, they're the ones that everybody's seen as a person that, hey, maybe I could invest with them someday. You know, yeah. there, there's a lot of people in America who have a lot of money and don't know what to do with it. Yeah. So you got to just be the guy that people want to go to because they see you as a mover and shaker. So anyway, that's just my encouragement to people that are listening to the show right now that maybe have, uh, you know, not sure why they should jo- jump on BP because they're already experienced. Well, that, that right there is a pretty good reason. So yeah, it's great. Cool. Yeah. Hey, um, Brian, I and I, I don't think there was a question in there for him. Was it? Was there? No, not really. Just okay. harping on that. No, I, I I love the plug. That's a great plug. <laughs> All right, so yeah, let, let's kind of circle back a tiny bit and hammer down a little bit more on um, the deals. You know, you, you, you've got a ten point three million dollar deal. You've got the six million. You're looking for these others. You know, what kind of person? You know, I just want to dig a little deeper into the investors. You know, what, and I don't think the question I want to ask is what kind of person gives you money, but you know what what kind of money are you raising? Are you raising twenty five thousand dollars at a time, fifty at a time, a hundred thousand, quarter million, half million? What do you what are you raising? What kind of chunks are you are typically getting for um, you know, these raises that you're doing? Yeah, sure. So now that I have a track record, uh, my minimum is a hundred thousand. So okay. that it could be a million, a quarter million, up to a million dollars of of the investors that I'm able to tap into. Did that happen back in 2010 or even 2009? No. So I think the audience needs to realize that as your business starts to take, you know, or, or move forward to get traction, you know, you can increase your minimum investment. But maybe starting out, I would suggest only start at fifty thousand because. You know, to raise a two million dollars for a capital capital raise, twenty five thousand is a lot of people that you need to you know look through your circle of influence. So, kind of having that minimum of fifty, and you really need a couple big guys, you know, to to help that average out. But again, we want to make sure that we're dotting the i's and crossing the t's. If you're pulling money together, I, I know there's not an SEC call, but you know, we want to be careful. We want to do the things the right way and make sure you get good counsel and, and put in the private placement memorandum, the PPMs, all that good stuff. Make sure you get all that taken care of when you're raising money. We're always looking for ways to improve, searching for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for better is by matching with quality candidates. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Just go to Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single-family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. Finding rental property insurance has been a headache for the past few years. You know the feeling. You're scrambling, calling 20 different insurance agencies in a dozen different cities, struggling to protect your portfolio at the right cost. But I'm going to tell you a little secret that'll change everything. Veteran investors don't go through the everyday insurance companies. They just use NREG. NREG, that's N-R-E-I-G, provides insurance solely for real estate investors. They've built the largest insurance program in the country for residential tenant-occupied, vacant, and renovation properties. The best part? You can put all your properties on one insurance schedule and one monthly bill. And you can add, change, or remove properties without having to cancel one policy and purchase another. They insure properties from single-family rentals, up to 20-unit multifamily dwellings, vacation rentals, mobile homes, condos, and more. Trade catchy jingles for cash flow with insurance made for investors. Visit nreg.com slash bppod to request a proposal. N-R-E-I-G dot com slash B-P-P-O-D. Yeah. Nice. I love that. Love that. All right. So let's move on. I want to talk a little bit about, you know, how your, I mean, we kind of know how your business has developed. Now you're looking for the larger apartment buildings. How many have you done total now? Like units have you bought and sold or, or invested in? Yeah, bought and sold almost a thousand apartment units, uh, valued over thirty million. I currently control um, the hundred and forty-four unit deal in South Carolina, uh, two hundred nine unit deal in in Texas, and there's some reasons why. If you want to go, you know, if you want to go, if you want me to go there, if I live in Pennsylvania, why I'm you know investing in other states? Or I would love that. Uh, Okay. Yeah. 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 So, so I'm in the Northeast and the opportunity cost to, you know, deploy capital for properties around this area are pretty expensive where I can go to other markets and buy properties that are a lot cheaper. And also my, my business is built on uh, job growth and economic growth. So where are those markets across the country that um, those markets are performing very well? And a very simplistic view here though is, is someone's got a job, they can pay your rent. Uh, Texas, in my you know, opinion, are, is a state that's producing 
position a significant amount of jobs, regardless if it's a blue-collar, white-collar type of job. It's a great uh, business-friendly state. doesn't have an income tax. It's a very landlord-friendly state. It's the central of the country, so it's great for distribution of product for big employers. Um, <clears throat> so how I also look at the, at the model is, okay, what are the trends in the marketplace? Looking at Census Bureau data, job growth, economic growth, um, you know, other you know, you can, for example, set up a Google Alerts. You know, I do that for all the markets that I target. And daily, weekly, you can get news just coming into your email about what's happening in your marketplace. Yeah. I'm in, again, I'm in Pennsylvania. I'm buying deals outside my marketplace. Um, so we want to be an expert. And that's what one question the investors are going to ask. Well, you live in Pennsylvania. What the heck are you investing in a different state? Well, what I just told you is what I do. Uh, and everyone's investment model is going to be different. But, you know, I target markets that have some type of upswing. And, and I believe the markets, you know, other markets across the country, you know, everything's cyclical. So. Yeah. Hey, so, you know, we, we talked to a lot of people and, and especially, you know, for new investors, we always try to tell them, you know, try and invest local, try and stay where you can kind of find opportunity so you can kind of go by, reach out and do it. I, I, I'd like to think that it's a little bit different when we're talking hundred, 200 plus units. I mean, it's, it's, it is, but it isn't, right? I mean, you still want to be able to go and see that, you know, things are being run and managed appropriately. But at the same time, you know, you may not be able to as easily find those opportunities. It's a lot easier to find a duplex within 200 miles than a 200 unit within 200 miles that meets the criteria you're looking for. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I love the kind of becoming an expert outside the marketplace. Uh, you said job growth. You said stable economy. Um, what other things do do people want to look for? Do you have any data sources that you would recommend people use to help better evaluate the markets that they're looking at? Sure. I'm, again, I'm a I'm a frugal CPA, so I love free stuff. Um, Marcus and Millichap, which is a, a broker, has a lot of great free information on what we call MSAs. So the markets like Dallas or L- LA, New York, Denver, you know, the big markets. Um, Marcus and Millichap does a great job of analyzing this stuff for us. Where construction, job permits, absorption rates, all this good stuff is is kind of all put together for us. There's another report I use. It's called Viewpoint. It's um. IRR.com, I believe. Um, I don't know exactly off the top of my head that link, but I'm sure you guys can, you know, uh, figure that one out. Um, and then there's, you know, CoStar, there's there's LoopNet, even though that's a, a free resource as well. And I, I've never bought an asset off of LoopNet, but there's data and, and I'm a data junkie. And I think as you're beginning to go down this pathway of putting a, a larger multifamily, you got to be the expert because not only are your investors going to ask you, you know, the, your loan broker, your management company, everyone's going to be pointing to you and say, okay, how are you going to run the show? Uh, and they're going to be looking to you or, or like the quarterback of the team, you know, to, to navigate and leverage other people's skill sets to, you know, get your property across the finish line. Either that's, you know, the purchase rehab, get it, you know, flipped, whatever the exit strategy is. Okay. So yeah. That's that's great. All right. So let, let's talk about that exit strategy. Um, yeah, the first one, it sounds like that, well, that 98, not the 98, but the, uh, uh, what was that? The 276 unit, you said you flipped that. So how quickly were you out of that deal? 
Well, again, um, I wasn't the operator. So right. the operator are the ones, and I knew this kind of going in that it was going to be a fast-paced deal because there was so much equity in the opportunity. So I knew, yeah. and my investors knew, I'm all transparency, and you know, we got to be because we're, we're, we have other people's money at risk, and yeah. what we don't want to do is lead them on and things don't happen. You know, any deal can go sideways. But um, So the operators of that deal, you know, put together a refinance strategy. So there was, you know, value that could be extracted by putting new debt on and um, myself and my investors that I brought to the deal, we were all refinanced. So we got our principal back plus a healthy return uh, of that, of that uh, particular uh, deal. Right. Okay. okay, cool. Uh, and then what, what about the other ones, the 144, the 209 unit? Yeah. So the 144, I still uh, have that deal and, and that was a HUD deal. And uh, as a disclaimer, well, I don't know if I'm going to say this in the recording, but I'll, I'll say what I'm, I was going to say anyway, is, is HUD is, a, is very challenging to work with. Um, I'll, I'll say the good first, and I'll come to back to the bad. I don't think they're going to come hunt you down, man. I think, <laughs> I think it's, it's a government entity. That is kind yes. of a given. <laughs> yeah. So we got, we got awesome financing um, of that $10.3 million purchase price. We got 90% financing. With that came wow. uh, a 40-year mortgage. It's amortized wow. over 40 years an interest rate of 4.15% and it's wow. assumable to the next guy. The downside, <laughs> oh my right? God. The, yeah. The downside is it's compliance driven. You know, it seems like every other day week, we've got people coming in to look at our asset. Uh, we can only on this particular loan, loan structure, we can only distribute out cash flow uh, twice a year. With that, there is a formula that we need to follow. And if we don't hit certain benchmarks, we can't distribute out cash flow. Secondly, um, we have to have a significant portion of capital, you know, set aside. It's called a capex reserve. We have to have a significant portion, you know, for roofs. This asset is built in 2004. It's a Class A deal. They want us to have roofs, you know, 20 years, 25 years down the road. We have to have money for that. I'm like, are you kidding me? So. <laughs> Um, again, uh, what I was going to say is, would I do another HUD deal? Probably not, because of just the red tape you have to get through. Um, you know, from one side, it's, it's attractive terms, but there's the you know the other side, the other world. Interesting. I'd what never ca- heard that. That's yeah, that's cool. crazy. What, what, what kind of cash flow is is that property doing? What kind of returns are you getting? Well, we, we projected out um, a, a PREF return. That means the investors get a, a certain yield uh, on their investment first. And then after that, you know, the, the management where I'm at, uh, we get paid. So we projected out an 8 to, eight to 10% uh, cash on cash return. But as I shared, uh, because we didn't meet the formulas, um, we, haven't, we haven't distributed our cash flow for the, this particular year just because we didn't meet those thresholds. Okay. So, you know, each deal is unique. Each deal has its own, you know, ex- exit strategy. That's a long-term hold because I believe, uh, and I think there's a lot of chatter right now when this is being recorded, is interest rates are going to go up. So uh, this rate, we're locked in for 4.15%. Um, there's probably, you know, this is an institutional type uh, type of asset for someone else. So we're going to hold this deal for another six, seven years. Interest rates most likely are going to be higher than they are now and hopefully, you know, extract additional value out of this property when we sell it down the road. Fair awesome. enough. Fair yeah. enough. Hey, let me, so you, you had talked about, and sorry, Brandon, I, I got a lot of questions. Got a lot of questions. Um, you had talked about management getting paid after the investors um, I, I, I had written down earlier, how are you actually getting paid? So I, I understood on that first property that you guys had uh, refied and you were able to kind of get money out there. Um, but these properties that you're holding on to long term, 
Are you uh, taking cash each month? Obviously, on the HUD, you can only distribute cash twice a year. So that's probably not a monthly cash flow. And because you quit your job. So, you know, the real question is, how are you living? How does somebody quit their job, buy multifamily properties by raising money, and then actually make a living? That's, I mean, I, I think that's probably a question that's on a lot of people's minds. Sure thing. Um, and just to clarify that just a little bit. So our management company is often obviously in the operating expenses. What I meant by managing, I'm the managing member. So um, just want to make sure that, you know, people didn't think we were paying our investors and then the management company gets paid. They get paid before our investors do. But so how I get paid um, is when I put these, you know, these deals are, are long and, and can be challenging and takes a lot of time. So I put together um, an acquisition fee structure. So I get paid three points points of the actual purchase price of putting these large opportunities together. So, you know, 10.3 million, that was a 300 plus um, acquisition fee paid at closing. I had a partner, so we split that. <clears throat> so in that particular deal, you know, that was kind of an upfront fee. And then I share in, you know, the cash flow, the tax depreciation and back end profit. There are some opportunities, and just to touch on this, some people put what we call an asset management fee in. So usually it's one point um, that as the quarterback of the team or the managing member, you know, you, you can take one percentage of, of you know, uh, gross collected rents and get paid on a monthly basis or an annual basis. For the deals that I've done so far, I haven't, I haven't baked that in, if you will, into my opportunities because if we get to my 209-unit deal, I'm actually taking 50% of that deal. Uh, and and I, I'm not greedy by any means, but this, again, is a lot of work. So I didn't feel, um, you know, putting in or, or including an asset management fee on that particular deal, it didn't make sense because I still want to make sure my investors get paid and, and want to make sure the numbers worked. Sure. And just That's for great. people that are listening to this that aren't sure, everything you're talking about is very, very normal with syndication and with putting together big deals. So like nothing you're doing is like, you know, weird. I mean, because you know, like, when I yeah. think about if I were to do a partnership on a duplex, I wouldn't typically get an acquisition fee at the beginning. You know, that's just you know, that's just weird, right? For the duplex, but with larger multifamilies, that's very, very, very common, and that's just the way it's done. So, and one of the reasons I want to get to where you are, I mean, it's one of the reasons I wanted yeah. you on the show today, right? Because I want to be you. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you, Brandon, for that compliment. But yeah, you're exactly right, and and this is like common practice in in this particular segment of multifamily. And most important, it's all about disclosure. So, you know, I'm not doing anything that my investors aren't aware of or not included in the private placement memorandum and you know and we just need to disclose these things and and it's disclosed to the investor and those investors are supposedly informed investors and they're making the investment the decision to invest with you so as long as everyone's on the same page you know we're not doing anything that's uh, you know secretive for the investor that's great okay how big is your team is it just <laughs> you i mean are, are yeah. you alone yeah, you're looking at them right now, and and, and I and for disclaimer, I've got you know a virtual assistant that helps me with the administrative and marketing, uh, and and again coming back to that 2010 you know strategic, it's it's how can I add value, you know I do have other people that I work on you know work with, but you know I've kind of I've been doing this all on my own. And I and to scale this business, I do need to you know bring on more people to handle the acquisitions, the due diligence, the raising money. Because right now I'm I'm doing a lot of that myself, and, and I'm realizing as I as I move forward that I need to rely on other really smart people. And I've had a, a fortunate experience on Bigger Pockets. Actually, I you know made a thread, I put a post out there, and you know I've been fortunate that uh, people have outreached to me and say, hey, how can I help? I, you know, sounds like this is a pretty cool thing. How can I participate? So you know I'm vetting some people right now to see you. Know, 
know, the, and I only work with action takers, you know, those that, like myself, you know, I had to quit my job and I had a goal and, and I'm not wanting to work with those that they're just kicking the tires. I want somebody that's, you know, passionate and loves this stuff just like I do. So, yeah. Yeah. What, what, what kind of marketing are you doing? I mean, you, you said you've got a VA who's doing marketing. You know, why do you need to market if you're just going to buy big multifamily properties? Yeah. So you guys probably know in sales, it's what ABC, uh, always, always be closing. Be closing. Yeah. So in my world, I'm ABM always be marketing because you always need to be marketing for, for really, and I'll break this down pretty simple for you or, or in my world is, um, in, in real estate, it's, it's deals in dollars. It, it, you know, people get so concerned and confused that they got to do all these other things, but you need to have the right deals coming in for your investors and you need the investors, you know, to close the deal. So if, if you can play matchmaker, you understand from a marketing perspective or, you know, what your investors are looking for and you market to that category of investors, they're looking for, you know, a property built X and, you know, looks like this and cash flow and returns, we'll market to that subset of people. Then take that group of people and go market to the brokers, other investors, do direct mail, do those things. And then your business, you know, it just happens faster because you're not trying to swim upstream in both accounts. It just, it just makes it a lot easier. And it took a while for me to figure that out. But now with my marketing, my VA is, you know, I'm, I've got a website. I've got, you know, I do direct mail. That's how I found and bought my 209 unit deal on a direct mail piece. Really? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's, it's, you know, and marketing is just not one funnel. It's, it's multiple funnels. These conversations we're having, it's other investors going to your local RIA. It's, it's just not one size fits all. It's, it's multiple funnels that are open and you never know when that either deal or investor is going to come from. And you just, you know, you need to be proactive. Yeah. Excellent. I love it. And I'm, I'm, uh, encouraged that you talk about direct mail worked for that apartment complex because I yes. don't not a lot of guys and I don't even like talking about that on the podcast because like that's what I want to do right and I don't yeah. want everybody and their brother direct mailing apartment owners <laughs> right but like yes. but like yeah. I, I'm encouraged the fact that that worked for you and that that does yes. work so very very cool yes all right good deal well let's move over to the fire round it's time for the fire round. All right, these questions come direct out of the Bigger Pockets forums, which people can get to at biggerpockets.com slash forums. This is that same thing I mentioned earlier about people jumping in, just being active in that part of the site uh, is a good way to build your reputation. And I know you uh, actually did that. I read through your thread. You have a thread about your kind of your story and it was fascinating and and you just kind of start building your brand on BP. So anyway, I'm going to uh, throw some questions at you here. Josh sure will too. I might throw a few. You might well. throw a few. Yeah, you know. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, so I guess how would you answer these if you saw these in the forums? Number one. Somebody said, what are some examples of good deals on four-unit or six-unit apartments? Some just came on the market for 130000 and it's not the best area. But I think they're in pretty good condition. How would you respond to that person? <laughs> well, <laughs> I guess first disclaimer is that that's too small for me. Sure. <laughs> we move on because <laughs> uh, from a scalability, you know, I guess it's all, it always comes back to the numbers and um, making sure that the numbers, you know, kind of match up and that, you know, if there's enough cash flow, because, you know, I want to just come back to something real quickly is, is if someone's focused on a four to six unit and, and maybe again, they live in Pennsylvania and they're, and they're looking at another state, North Carolina, it's, and it's producing $600 or $800 a month. And each month they have to go travel down there or, you know, there's travel expenses. And at the end of the day, this is a lot of work. So I want to make sure everyone knows that this is, you know, this is not one morning I just hit the easy button and all these, you know, <laughs> cash flow and acquisition fees came flying out. There's a lot of 
work. So I think um, getting very clear again on your why it does does a six or eight unit. Yeah, that get you started. And I'm not I'm encouraging anyone that you got to take action to get started. But does that fit the model of where that investor is heading in the direction? Uh, I, I hope I'm answering your question for you. Yeah, 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 I actually like that a lot because I just get a lot of people. I love your answer there about the numbers. I get a lot of people who email me and say, "Brandon, I found a fourplex for 150 thousand. Should I buy it?" First of all, like I don't even have time to answer to a lot of those emails, but I mean, whoa, whoa, I don't. Whoa, are you? Wow. No, I try to answer every email oh, I get. Brandon, I'm, I'm too saying. busy to answer your emails. <laughs> That's why I pay you, buddy boy. No, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but <laughs> I. So here, I mean, here's the problem, right? Like that tells me nothing. Does yeah. one hundred and fifty thousand for a fourplex? Do I do? Does that tell me anything? You need more information. Yeah, I, I, I think that's one of the big problems yeah. that a lot of new people have. Is, um, and I was going to go there is yeah. when you post, guys, post some details because that doesn't tell us anything. What yeah. are, you know? What are the rents? What are the expenses? You need yeah. you need to you know if you want help in getting answers on if something is a decent deal or if other people think something is a decent deal, you need to give some details. And if you're not thinking about those details, then you're not ready to buy that or any other deal. Yeah. And so, yeah. And if I could go there real quickly is, is, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Stephen Covey, you know, have the end in mind. So if someone's asking you those questions, it's okay. Uh, turn it around and say, well, why is that a good deal for you? You know, it, does that fit? what you're looking for Um, because a lot of people struggle. They want somebody else to answer that question. Why is it a good deal for you? Why is it a good deal for your investors? And if you don't have, you know, answers to those two questions, you shouldn't be in real estate or you shouldn't be doing that deal or you need to learn a little bit more. Yep. Yeah. It's just like that, uh, the, the Alice in Wonderland, the cat and the, whatever the, the cat, and the, the Cheshire cat. Right. And Alice says like, you know, which way do I go? And he says, well, where do you want to go? And she's like, well, I don't really care. And he says, well, it doesn't matter then. Right. Like if you don't have that predefined, like, does it fit your goal? Does it fit your plan? I have no idea if a fourplex is good for you. And so one thing I will say too, just to encourage people, if you're like somebody who wants to go and email somebody and ask them about a deal, whether it's me, Josh, you know, Brian here or anybody hey, in the don't world. Don't email me. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, <laughs> you put it in the forums instead. I mean, cause yep. Yeah, we we get certain things, but when you put it in the forums with thousands of people that could see it, you're going to get advice from a lot of different perspectives and get advice from a lot of people that can then jump in and help you in a way that any of us three or anybody that you talk to on one-on-one won't be able to do. So sure. that's my Good encouragement. Point. Yeah, people jump that's in great. there and, and, and post your stuff if you have questions. I uh, always tell people to do that, by the way. But yeah. again, they'll hit me up. Hey, I've got a question. I want to know this. I would love to help you. Yeah. Post it on the forums. A, so you know, you'll get other answers because yep. mine may not necessarily be the right answer. Yep. And B, so that you can get multiple feedback, multiple yeah. opinions. And um, help other people in the future. To, and other people can read it and learn as well. Yep. So yeah. yeah. All right, cool. This this fire round is really going quite, yeah, quite <laughs> it's slow. It's a slow burn, Josh. Yes, slow, burn. Is, slow, burn. slow burn. Yeah, there you go. All right. Second question is apartment demand and development is surging in some markets, including Texas. What would be your criteria? for developing multifamily? Well, again, I hate to take the, the sideway here. I, I don't do development, so sure. I, I target those assets that are already built. Uh, my my model is built on value-add, those properties that where we can come in and force valuation by either you know decreasing expenses, increasing rents, doing some type of rehab. So my track record, I don't, I don't know how to answer that one from a development perspective, sure. like well, building the asset out of ground. And I think your uh-huh. answer was actually really good in that like that's not your niche, right? You're not distracted by the shiny object of development just because it might be hot in one market. You know, you're good at multifamily value add apartment investing. Right. So right. I love that. You're very well, wise, Brandon. Thank you. I'm a wise guy. That's what they keep saying. All right. Uh, number three, what would be a good job, like a career to try and work for, uh, to learn about buying and selling 
uh, city apartments? Like basically, like how do I get a job in that industry to learn more? I think you know being a an acquisition manager is is a good start if if that is your skill set. Of course, you know if you understand the numbers, um, or you know being out being a networker, being a marketer, because it, it all comes down to you know. Uh, really finding the deals and finding that investor, and if you can, if you can add the most value by bringing someone a kick, you know, kick butt re- deal, or you're able to find money and bring that to someone's deal, you're going to be well sought out. You know, so if someone came to me and said, "Hey, I've got, I got this deal, or I've got this money," and well, why wouldn't I want to partner with that somebody? You know, someone. Um, so I think that the best uh, job would be to uh, again either be an acquisition person to understand the numbers and how to put the deal together, or being like a, a master networker. That's great. Yeah, I love that. Right Just to add on to that, because you know this is a slow fire on today. <laughs> so I'm, I'm listening to, on Audible, I'm listening to the book 80-20 Sales and Marketing by a guy named Perry Marshall. Um, and in that book, there's a, this long discussion on the idea that most of what a person does doesn't produce results, right? 80-20, which says 20% of what you do produces 80% of your income. So it's in Pareto this, principle, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the Pareto summer, or the, yeah, that whole like uh, thing. It was in the four-hour work week. It's in Pareto, yeah, all that good stuff. So the idea that so what he was talking about in there is his his argument in the book, which I agree with, is whatever you're doing in life, look at what 20% that makes you the most money and then hire someone to do the other 80%. So at, I'm going to twist that around to that job question or whatever and say, if you can find somebody like Brian or like the thousands of other guys that are out there doing what you want to do, do their 80% that they don't want to do that's not making the money, let them do their 20% and you will make them way more money because you're taking that load off of them. And so if you can yeah. find a guy like Brian and do that 80%, like the marketing, like you said. Yeah, that Brandon, that's gold right there, what you just that said. That was gold. Yeah, that was awesome. That's yeah, it. Thanks. Yep. I'm a wise guy. <laughs> oh, wow, man. What did you, you eat your spinach this morning? What's going on here, buddy? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. What are your minimum cash flow requirements for buying multifamily and why? Do you have minimum cash flow requirements? I do. Um, so minimum for me is at least 5K a month um, and not including the acquisition fee. Okay. So I want to make sure my investors will, you know, investors need to get paid first. We have a fiduciary responsibility. But, uh, you know, from where I see my business going, I want to scale in the next, you know, 10 years to control $250 million, And I want 100K of passive income coming on a monthly basis. And it's a very strategic, you know, I could go out and tomorrow and probably buy a deal, but it, it doesn't fit. You know, these the, the deals right now uh, is very competitive. There's a lot of, you know, there are a lot of... Uh, assets that are trading at ridiculous pricing. So we really need to be careful, understand our numbers. But um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, 5K a month on a deal is, is what I, where I need to be on a minimum basis. Gotcha. And, and by the way, you helping tens of thousands of investors get better at this is not going to help this competitiveness. <laughs> so, yeah, just, just, right. just so you know. Yep. So I better stop while I'm ahead, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, sorry, I'm not going to answer that question, Brandon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, next question. Um, let's see. Uh, I think we kind of covered that one, but I'll say it anyway. When looking for a multifamily property, what do you look for? Yeah, so it comes back to you know once I understand I've got a pool of investors that are looking for the deal, and then I go out shopping basically for them. So again, I'm a value add guy. So I got to be buying a property, and I'll I'll use my 209 unit deal as an example. I bought that through a direct mail, and direct mail didn't happen just on one letter campaign. I think that's where people get a little bit frustrated. They do one result, they they get a zero response rate, and they say this stinks. I'm done. It's a in my model, it's a very consistent approach. Three, five, seven step letters to that you know owner. 
and I'm very targeted on what type of property I'm going after. Um, so for me, I'm looking for something where I can fix up, increase increase the rents, decrease the expenses. I bought that 209 unit deal for six million on the day of purchase. It appraised at 7.4 million, and I've been able since ownership. I bought that a, a year ago, so I've been able to uh, increase rents on hundred dollars per unit. I've spent uh, my capex budget is 750 thousand. I've spent 500 grand so far for doing exteriors, uh, you know, painting, uh, interior upgrades such as um, you know switching out the lighting, the carpet, just adding more of that little curb appeal to force value because we haven't really covered how multifamily is valued, but it's all on the net operating income or the NOI. So we want to be, you know, uh, drastically pushing that NOI. So that's going to help our valuation when we either sell or refinance. And since you opened the door, yeah, let's keep the the slow burn going really quickly. (laughs) Uh, What is, what is NOI? How does somebody figure that out? Yeah, so NOI is, is basically take your, your gross collected rents and subtract out all your operating expenses. What's not included in NOI is your debt service, what you have to pay the, the you know your bank, your mortgage, the interest. So that gets you down to NOI. And multifamily properties are based from a value basis. It's not based on sales comps. It's based on cap rates. And those cap rates are at the local level. So a cap rate here in Pennsylvania where I'm at for a C-class building in a C-class area might be, you know, a five six, six and a half cap. I go to Texas and that same asset might be an eight cap or, you know, in a different market, Texas is pretty competitive too, actually. Um, but so each, you know, market is, is driven by that local level cap rate. And that's what, re- that's what determines valuation. Right on, right on. All right. So my last question I'm not going to read because I know you're not actually going to answer it, not because you're a bad guy, but because I, I know how you answer the questions you want to answer and don't want to answer. It has nothing. Yeah, you've, you've done it. So yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. It. So, so I'll just ask you a quick question. Um, uh, hypothetically, should I be looking for deals that are on market or off market? Has not been asked, uh, or I'm sure it's been asked a hundred times on the forums, but you know, that's the final fire round question. Yeah, so so is any market really off market? You know, a broker may tell you that it's off market. I can tell you for me, my deal in Dallas was off market because I sent the letter directly to the seller. Uh, it's a lot of work to actually get letters to the seller, but uh, that's a different you know that's a different topic right now. But so I bought deals that are on market and off market, and I think it all comes down to what do you want to pay for it? Because a broker, a seller is going to tell you, hey, my deal's worth ten million dollars, and if the numbers only check out at eight million. That's your offer, or that, you know, your strike price should actually be seven million, and then you work up to that eight million. So I think it, it really comes back to take the emotion out of this. And if the deal's on market or off market, um, as long as it fits the investment parameters that you and your investors need to hit, and you can make the thing work, and you're you have a strategy of once you buy the property and how you're going to execute the game plan, and then how you're going to execute, you know, getting paid at the end of the day, because that's what you and your investors are all striving for, either that sale or refinance, and you know, cash flows along the way. So you know, um, I, I'm open to any deal as long as it, it fits in my investment criteria. That's great, great. perfect, fantastic. All right, moving on to the world famous. Famous for. We ask these questions to every guest, and so we're going to throw them at you right now. Sure. Number thing. one, what is your favorite real estate related book? Ooh, can I name more than one, or is it uh, my limited Go one? Go for it. I'll, okay, I'll, well, I'll allow it this time. Okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> I think one, you know, again, I, far, I focus on markets across the country, and, and Dave Lindahl has a book called Emerging Real Estate Markets. And since I also raise money through a syndication, 
Uh, there's a guy named Gene Trowbridge that has a book. It's a whole new business. And I, uh, how I raise some of my money, about 30% of my money, comes through self-directed IRAs. So there's a guy, um, he's not as well-known as some of these other ones. Uh, Joe Luby has a book. It's a Keep It Advanced Tax Strategies for IRAs. Um, so how you know investors that want to use IRAs to invest in real estate, you know how you can um, participate in these types of deals. Fantastic. Yeah. All right. Cool. Favorite business book or books? All yeah, around. I got a. Okay, I got a couple of those as well. Um, you know, as as someone that uh, you know is just starting your own business, there's a lot of moving targets, and for me, I need to really focus on getting things done. By David Allen, uh, yeah. was it was a benefit for myself. Uh, the E Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber. I think and grow rich. I think any entrepreneur, business owner should should consider reading Napoleon Hill's book. I'm a big diehard Tony Robbins guy. So when I put this plan back together, and I flew to Fiji, I was with Tony Robbins at his business mastery course. And Tony's got a great program uh, throughout. You know, if it's just not business, it's got some other programs. So he's got a business mastery course. Um, I'm a big marketing guy. So Dan Kennedy's got a book because I'm targeting that affluent. uh, You know, investors that can invest 100k. He's got a book called No BS Marketing to the Affluent. And um, I, I'm still bad at this, but there's a lady, Julie uh, Morgenstern. She's got a book, Never Check Email in the Morning, because uh, you know you're when you wake up in the morning, there's things that you should be doing, get, getting those top three priority things done, and email can distract you. So I love it. I love it. There I just go. added like five books to my uh, list on Amazon. <laughs> there you so go. There you go. <laughs> All right, cool. Uh, Josh, what about hobbies? What do you do for fun? You got two uh, two little girls. What you I know? Do. What, do you, yes. what do you guys like to do? Yeah, we like to travel. Actually, uh, next week we're heading to Arizona um, nice. to do some family time. At the end of uh, August, uh, we're heading to the Outer Banks. We, we enjoy our time traveling. And the type of business I'm in, um, I, I basically re- because my properties are across the country, I you know can re- work basically remotely uh, or virtually. Um, I like to golf, even though I'm, I'm not as good as uh, I'd like to be. Uh, <laughs> but I do enjoy getting out swinging and uh, you know working out and and uh, you know just uh, enjoying this business. I, to me, I think. Uh, when I was a CPA and that grind, that was work to me. Now I'm in my passion state. So this is fun. I love putting deals together, talking with people, these, these conversations we're having. I get, I get you know, that thrill. So uh, that's kind of my, I guess, kind of hobby because I, I, love, I love the business. Outstanding. Yeah, I love that. Cool. All right, my final question of the day. What do you believe sets apart successful real estate investors from those who give up, fail, or never get started? I think it's it's a simple answer of the why, you know, understanding what what you want in your life, what you want to happen, how much money you need to make and taking action towards those. And those actions, you know, if like I said earlier, I need a minimum of 5k a month. Well, some people are like, "Wow, that's that's a lot." Or that maybe that's not enough. But anyway, what would be three action steps, you know, to to get towards that goal? And then maybe they're the baby steps. I mean, think of our social security number. It's it's three parts. Think of our name, first, middle, last name. It's three parts. Chunk this thing down into small parts and then each day, each week, each month take actionable steps to that big goal and then uh, you know, at the end of the day, we can we can all read as many books as we want. But as I said before, you got to get in the cage. You got to take swings. You got to take risks. Surround yourself with the people that you want to be that, that's doing those things that you're doing. Just you know, surround yourself and get in that same circle of influence as them. Brian, you and I should go golfing someday. I need to surround myself with. <laughs> I want to bring a video camera to that. <laughs> I'm such a terrible golfer. Yeah, uh, anyway. I can't wait to see it. I can't wait to see it. All right, Brian, before we let you go, is there uh, where can people find you? Obviously, you're on Bigger Pockets. You have a website. Is, is you know, yeah, you know, share away. 
Sure thing. So my, my website is um, Adams, A-D-A-M-S, investorgroup.com. And, um, you know, I, this community that you guys have, have formed, you know, I, I put this thread out and, and there's some really good nuggets, in my opinion, uh, you know, on the thread about me quitting my CPA. I forget how it's worded, but go to the multifamily forum and, and I tried to address as many questions, if, if not all the questions that people have, have you know, asked. So I want to, you know, give back as much, as much as I can because this, this pathway was not easy, but through this, I've learned so much. And if I can help some others, you know, get that massive action, get those goals, financial goals, uh, you know, go away. I, do you want me to give my personal email or phone number? Or well, that or would just... be a bad idea. Okay. All right. <laughs> only because you'll get only because you'll get inundated. Okay. But... Thank you for that. I, then I will hold it right there. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yeah. Cool. And uh, I, I'll also link to in the show notes. We'll link to that uh, thread of yours in the forum, so yeah. people can check that out at biggerpockets.com/slash/show135. Brian, thanks so much for coming on, man. We really appreciate it, and thanks for being Thank part of our world. Thank you so much. Appreciate the opportunity. All right. Thank you, you Brian. It. Thanks. Take care. All right, guys. That was Brian Adams. Big, big thanks to Brian for for sharing just everything. Yeah, that was that yeah. was outstanding, man. Yeah. I mean, I I think newbies and and you know others who've been in the game a little bit are gonna just be blown away that they can probably do this stuff too. Yeah, I love his his technique of this idea of uh, you know having a plan. Basically, lining up the dominoes as the one thing talks about, and just knocking that out, like because it's his plan. You know, like he didn't yep. get distracted by the stuff. He's very, he's very single minded and straightforward in what he's doing, and I just love that. So, yeah, I mean, in 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 the fire round, we were we were asking him questions from from people, and he couldn't answer them not because he didn't want to, but because you know he doesn't get distracted. He does yeah. what he does. He's focused and he's on it. And I think that's a great way to to go ahead, you know, the one thing, right? So yep. to go ahead and build out your business. So uh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, great, fantastic show. Yeah, that was a lot of fun, and uh, I'm I'm excited to go buy a few, you know, multi hundred unit buildings. Yeah, me too. Me too. Hey, Let's you know, we've never really done before on the show, and uh, we should. Uh, I'm, I'm going to ask you. This well, I'll first say this: if you guys are listening for the interview, you can go at this point. You're, you know, we're done with the show. We're done with the show. But I want to ask you a question, Josh. Now, I heard oh, this on another yeah. podcast recently. What movies have you been watching lately? We're just going to take this away from real estate, get fun here for a minute. What movies have you been enjoying lately? What have I been enjoying lately? Wow. Um, and or TV shows. Uh, yeah, that TV show is probably a better idea. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You know, and there is nothing on TV during the summer. Absolutely nothing. There's so not. I, we just caught Rookie Blue yesterday, which is which is pretty, uh, you know, it's one of these shows that we've we've liked for a long time. I, this summer, loved Silicon Valley. Totally I haven't got watched into, it yet. Oh, you got to see it, man, because it's us. It is literally this show <laughs> about these just nerdy guys who who have built this outstanding uh, company, but it's, it, you know what? I think this summer, uh, all the shows have this kind of painful attribute. It's, it's like they have these lead characters that you really like and you really want to see succeed yet. They have these weird quirks and they keep screwing things up. And and so it's kind of painful and you're cheering. It's like the last man on earth, which was another show that, that we watched, uh, you know, end of the fall, end of the spring. Um, I, I, I don't know. That's, that's kind of what I've been watching what about you nice i just uh i have like 30 minutes left of daredevil on netflix is that uh, with uh that's not 
Ben it's Affleck. Not the ben the Affleck. No, this is the TV show Daredevil that Netflix released. Um, so oh. it's, it was rated the highest show on all of Netflix. It was like really? it beat out House of Cards in ratings. Like, is it good? I expected it to blow my mind. No, I don't think it's very good at all. I mean, That's it's fine. Terrible. Like, it's fine, right? It's a, it's an okay there goes show. Netflix as a sponsor. <laughs> I know. No, I mean, it, I think it's fine. I think. Anybody who says it's better than House of Cards is insane. That's hard to beat. It's hard. I mean, like, it, it's a fine show. It reminds me of something you'd maybe see on, like, ABC Family. Like, it's an, Is it a drama or is it it's like a like you know, an action? It's, it's very cartoony action hero. You know, like, a, it's a comic book show. Okay. Like, and they do well, a yeah. good job. For a TV show, it's great. It, it reminds me of a movie. But, like, I don't know. It just, there's so many, like, cheesy things maybe i just because i'm not into the comic book thing i don't know but uh it's fine it's a good show but i just personally i i'm like this is nowhere near what i expected it to be so yeah yeah well you know you know you can't win them all whatever no no yeah but other, otherwise i don't know i'm not you know we're not doing too much of that at night we're we've been playing some backgammon you know getting a little gaming Fancy. happening which is which is fun do you play backgammon i've done i don't even know what Backgammon, isn't it? You get the board when you get like a chess set. Usually they flip it over and like <laughs> there's a backgammon board. When I was yes. a kid, I got that. Yeah. Yes, that's what it is. It's it's one of those prizes that every kid doesn't want to get. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I don't. I never it's, played it. It's it's fun. It's a gambling game. Actually, there's like a dice. Uh, Teaching well, kids to gamble. Good job. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Come on. What kids did not gamble with their grandparents growing up? You played cards. You played war for a quarter. Or you yeah. you know that's a terrible game, by the way. War. Um, the never-ending yeah you just flipping cards like ever yeah we played a lot of that and then i sh- shifted to egyptian rat race ever played that game i have not heard of that best one. card game of all time you and i like the bp group should play it sometime when i'm in denver next like it's re- it's absurdly fun nice anyway, yeah outstanding awesome man well cool i'm excited for you to leave i mean thanks I, you know i wish you <laughs> luck when you go on your journey to uh where, where are you going disneyland disneyland You're going to the florida one the california california one, right? one yeah and i'm hoping to have dinner at the pirates of the caribbean ride that is my ultimate goal for this trip that's the only thing i really care about this trip is dinner at pirates of the caribbean nice i, I will tell you that when when we have gone uh, over the past couple of years my my girls are a little bit afraid of of the uh there's a big drop i'm, I'm gonna blow it for everybody who's never been on that ride but there's a big <laughs> drop in that ride and my little kids did not like the big drop. Let's just put it that way. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You know, I have lots of Disney stories, but I can't share them with the world. <laughs> there, there are some fascinating Dorkin adventure Disney stories. I That's look forward to hearing them off air. Yes. Yes. All right, guys. Right, let's get out of here. Well, thanks for listening. Show 135 of the Bigger Pockets podcast. Check it out. Well, you've already checked it out if you're hearing us now. So get out of here. Follow us on Facebook. Jump on bigger pockets. You experienced guys jump in and help the newbies and and everybody get in there and and, and make it happen. And and then get out there and actually make it happen in the real world. So uh, thanks for listening. I'm Josh Dorkin, signing off. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. Have I told Jude that I... <laughs> that his song? Brian Adams? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom. And the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. 
If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals and enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and bam, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.